0: Everybody, This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, and this week I have another guest host with me. Her name is Bree, and she is a certified ophthalmology assistant. So she works for an ophthalmologist group, right, Bree? That is correct. Yeah. Hi. Hello. So it's really nice to have you. We're going to dedicate this whole episode to the eyes and people who uh, work with patients in particular with just their eyes so we have um a news story about a device that can be used to produce tears and yeah. Bree is going to help us understand about this device she's going to help us a lot through this episode because there are a lot of technical words and terminology that I didn't really understand when I was kind of researching some of this stuff. And then we have a bad <laughs> ophthalmologist story that Bree's going to tell us about. I'm so excited about it. It sounds really interesting. And then <laughs> and then I have an op- a good ophthalmologist story about an ophthalmologist who... Created the vitreo retinal subspecialty. And Bree's going to explain about that too. But then he was mm-hmm. also a World War <laughs> II uh, resistance fighter and spy. So that's a fascinating story. I can't wait to tell you guys about it.
1: Yeah, I'm excited about that one too.
0: And we have some uh, mascots in the background so I have my lovely two dogs running around the yard barking howling just saying hi to you guys they are I just my mind's drawn a blank I don't know my dog's names Charlie <laughs> and Chaplin so they're black and white dogs so they're Charlie and Chaplin Aww. and Bree that is adorable who are who are our little mascots on your side so
1: I have Mac and Griff <laughs> Mac is an Aussie Shepherd <gasps> and Griff is a great Pyrenees mix oh my gosh. so they're both extremely loud so I apologize in advance if they lose their mind oh they're
0: saying hi
1: yeah, and that's from downstairs. So again, I apologize.
0: <laughs> Yay. I think we have to put pictures now on, we'll put pictures on Facebook. So speaking of Facebook and social media, if you guys would go on to Facebook at Good Nurse, Bad Nurse podcast, or Instagram at, I think it's Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, or it may be GNBN podcast. I'm not sure. And Twitter, I'm pretty sure is GNBN podcast. So just go on any of those sites and let us know who you are, where you're from. We have new countries and areas every week popping up from all over the place. So, um, I noticed there like one person downloaded from France. I'm pretty sure they regretted it after they listened to it. <laughs> They never downloaded another episode. <laughs> they never listened again. So I'm like, well, thanks, France, for the one download. <laughs> Never again. I don't know. Well, you know, it's not for everyone, but we do appreciate <laughs> all of our other people who are listening. There are hundreds of downloads from Australia. uh Hundreds from the UK, from Canada, and of course, thousands from the United States, which we really appreciate everybody and all of you um, going on and just letting us know where you're from. I love it when people say that they listen in their commute, like driving to work, because I listen to podcasts on my way to work. It's just, it keeps me company and entertained in that little, um, you know, 20 minute drive that I have to work, sitting in traffic, you know, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, for sure. That's awesome.
0: So I guess we can get started um, in the news. So this device, uh, Brie, I was kind of telling you where I found this um, device that they were talking about in the news. And you said that you knew what it was and you were like, yeah, I know what that thing I is. I do. It says I've neuro- actually tried it.
1: stimulation
0: device helps patients produce yes. their own tears.
1: Yes. So it's 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 new. It's not a prescription device, but it's something that I think you can only get through your eye doctor at this point. I don't know if at some point it'll be an over-the-counter sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it basically, um, it kind of looks like a little pen and there are two little kind of wires that stick out of the top of mm-hmm. it. And the idea is that you stick this device up your nose and it basically delivers like an electric shock. Oh. Um, that stimulates tears. So kind of think about like when you sneeze, your eyes water. Um, actually when I tried it, I did sneeze for like five you minutes. You tried it, it? I did. They brought it in. Let us try it. Um, cause our doctors are thinking about, um, stocking it for patients. Oh. So dry, dry eye is kind of a major deal. So there's, you know, the relatively mild kind are kind of like, you know, you get kind of scratchy, you put artificial tears in and you're good. Mm-hmm. Um, but if there's a couple, um, different conditions where the, um, like people just don't produce tears of their own at all, which is not only uncomfortable, but can lead to like scarring and, um, like stuff that requires surgery to fix, or even people can lose their vision from it. So it's a big hairy deal if you have dry eye. Um, and this, you know, it's interesting to say the least, um, it's uncomfortable but that being said it i definitely produced a lot of tears when i tried oh, it man. so but i i can also imagine it being being uncomfortable
0: not yeah, having dry i mean dry eyes that sounds awful
1: it i mean it really is like i said you know you if you've had dry eyes before you know they they burn mm-hmm. they itch they can get red um but if you're to the point where you're not even producing your own tears anymore like it's literally like blinking with sandpaper on the back of your eyelids. It's Mm. horrible. So it's kind of a godsend. You know, we, like I said, we don't have it in our office yet, but we've talked to patients that have tried it. Um, It's not a perfect solution. You'll probably still need to supplement with other uh, medications and artificial tears, unless you want to, you know, shock yourself in the nostrils Mm. every 15 seconds. Um, But like I said, it does. It says you um, can help patients produce tears.
0: Yeah, it says you can use it up to 10 times a day for up to thirty minutes total,
1: so oh my God, oh. <laughs> I just thought about that shock for thirty minutes um yeah, it's it's not painful it's it's an odd sensation for sure. um, well, I mean, it really is like when you kind of have to sneeze is what it feels like, okay, well, so that'll be interesting. <laughs> I mean, if you are out there suffering from dry eye, ask your doctor about it <laughs> if you if you do um, suffer from that put a com- go and
0: a comment on face facebook on I, we're going to put some pictures on there at least of the dogs of so let <laughs> us know if you think this if if your dry eye is so bad that you would literally shock yourself in the nose <laughs> to be able to cry
1: <laughs> yeah um again i me not being a dry eye suffer to that extent it's not something i'd be interested in but If you're to that point where, you know, you've tried artificial tears, you've tried the prescription strength drops, and they're just not cutting it, definitely go to your doctor and see if this is something you can look into. It
0: says it's kind of expensive, I guess, and it's not yet covered by
1: insurance. So that may be one thing. It is is very expensive. Um, But that being said, eye drops are not cheap. The medicated drops are even more expensive. Um, so
0: is it kind of like it, you know, what a TENS unit is, how people can put that like on their back or to,
1: yeah, 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 nerves. It's not, it's not quite that strong. So I have had that done. I was actually in physical therapy way back when for my back mm-hmm. and they, they put those things on my back and it was kind of where you fit the muscle jump. It's not quite that strong. Okay. It's more of,
0: so you don't uh, think people should take a TENS unit and stick it up their nose and try to go the, the cheap
1: route doing it that way. Yeah. I don't feel great about recommending that. You know, what you do in the privacy of your own home is your business. We are not
0: condoning this behavior in
1: any shape <laughs> or form or fashion. Please don't. If you go to your eye doctor, make sure you tell them, I did not tell you to do that. Yeah, this is definitely not
0: a medical advice podcast, by the way. I've never really even put that disclaimer on there, but surely people understand. This is storytelling so. podcast. <laughs> do not do anything any of this stuff at home or at work or anywhere else,
1: Uh, especially the story I'm about to tell, please do not try this at home.
0: Well, I guess that's a probably a really good segue, Brie, if you want to get started on the bad ophthalmologist
1: story, I'd love to hear it. Sure, sure. Okay. So I know this is kind of a nursing podcast. And I did try to find a story about a bad nurse or a bad ophthalmic technician, but mm. I just, I couldn't find anything. Oh, I meant so, to say
0: that at the beginning too. So you are, your role is, because, and I, I totally messed that up. I meant to say that. So an ophthalmologist is a medical doctor. It's not the same thing as an optometrist absolutely, and you work yeah. closely almost like on the same level of like a nurse But specifically
1: for the eye, you got it. You got it. So I'm not an RN. I am a COA, so I am certified to assist ophthalmists, ophthalmologists. Okay, but I am not a nurse. Okay. Um. So yes, you got it right. Ophthalmology is a medical doctor. It's a surgeon. So they are an MD. They have done a surgical residency, and then usually they'll do a fellowship within their subspecialty. So, like, I personally work with a cornea specialist. Um. So he. Went to undergrad, four years of medical school, surgical residency, and then he did an extra fellowship year that was specific for the cornea. So super um, duper
0: smart, fancy pants.
1: Absolutely, a lot of schooling. <laughs> Op- optometry, where is just four years of optometry school after you do your undergrad. So nothing to sneeze at, but it's just yeah. a little bit different between optometrist and ophthalmologist. Okay, gotcha. So, anyway, I tried to find a story about a bad eye nurse, basically, and I could not find anything. So, I, because I you guys are all so awesome, we are. I guess we're not prone to violence, <laughs> or we're better at not getting caught. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, so yeah, I could not find anything for ophthalmologist tech or nurse specifically. Um, But I did find the story about the murder of Dr. Brian Stidham. So this has all the twists and turns of a 40-hour special. And it was. There is an episode of 48 Hours that you can actually find on YouTube if you want to go into more depth than I'm about to go into. I love it.
0: You always know it's going to be a good story if there's a 48 Hours about it.
1: (laughs) And a forensic files. There is both. So... I oh mean, I love forensic files. I'm setting myself up for failure. They're doing a much better job than I'm about to do.
0: Don't overexpect. expect. That's like when you tell somebody a movie's really funny, and then they don't think it's funny. So I'm usually, if people are like, "It's a good movie," I'll look at it and be like, "Just go see it." I don't want you. <laughs> I don't want to mess it up for you by telling you how funny I think it yeah. is. No disclaimers. For <laughs> so sure. don't think it's going to be at a good. It's going to be bad, but keep
1: listening. <laughs> yeah, keep listening, and then go to YouTube, and you can watch those shows. That will do a much better job than I'm about to do. <laughs> Okay. So uh, Dr. Brian Stedham was born in Texas and he actually went to Harvard Medical School um, in the early 90s. So pretty smart. Yeah, um, definitely. And then he does, did his re- residency uh, with the University of Texas. Um, and while he was in residency, he met his, met, met his wife, Daphne, um, and they actually went on to have two kids after he finished his residency. Um, he did a fellowship um, in pediatric ophthalmology in Indianapolis and he actually specialized in strabismus correction. And strabismus is basically when uh, you have crossed eyes, which oh, is yeah. not a term we like to use because <laughs> it's, I don't know, it just seems a little bit insensitive. But that's mm. what it is. It's when people have an eye that turns either in or out. Really common in kids, but usually um, if they specialize in strabismus, they're doing kids and adults because it can happen to anybody. Okay. Um, so we did that in Indiana. In Indiana. And then after he finished school, he went back to Texas um, and practiced there until he answered an ad um, placed by Dr. Brian Schwartz in a trade journal, um, who was actually looking for a pediatric specialist to join his practice in Tucson. Um, and this was a very uh, successful clinic. Um, according to reports, they were doing like a million dollars a year in business between the two doctors. So Brian Stedham went and joined that practice in October of 2001, but he left in October uh, October of 2002 and started his own practice in Tucson. Okay. But um, in October 2004, he was found murdered in the parking lot oh. of his pediatric practice. Oh. He had been stabbed 16 times and had a two inch skull fracture. Mm. So that's pretty serious. Yeah murder. Um he was discovered by the cleaning crew um but there were no witnesses um and his Lexus was missing from the scene. But and then when the police came on the scene they found the car's registration near the body.
0: Oh, that's weird. Uh
1: yeah, right? So, why would
0: you take out the registration?
1: It's usually exactly. kept in the apartment. That's odd. So the car is gone, the registration's left behind, and also his wallet was full of money and credit cards was still on the body when police found it. It's almost
0: like they, they're, they're like, Hey, in case you didn't know, this is who this person is. They're leaving all this identification. And yeah, it's, it's odd, right? Unless like, they, unless they were just trying to, they didn't want anybody to, if they, if, if, if they got pulled over, they wouldn't have the registration. So they would know it was his. Yeah, exactly. That and doesn't actually, doesn't sound like a very smart person Whoever did this.
1: <laughs> oh, you just wait. No, no. Um, So, of course, the first thing you do in this situation is you talk to the spouse. Um, So they tried to call Dr. Siddham's wife, Daphne, and she wasn't answering the phone. So they actually had to go to the house. Um, The door was locked. They ended up having to break in. And they found her in bed asleep. And they woke her up. And the first thing she said when she was awoken was, is my husband dead? Has he been shot? Is he dead? Um. So that's that's a weird thing to ask that's really weird <laughs> why um, she would and then that. uh when detectives asked her where she had been that night she said she was talking to somebody about some estate documents um, oh, really? and also on the nightstand next to the bed was copies of estate documents like her husband's life mm. insurance policy
0: oh yeah because you know that's just good reading material for right before you go to sleep
1: Yeah, like that doesn't look great. Like your husband's dead (laughs) across town and you were talking about his life insurance at the time he was murdered.
0: That's perfectly normal, you know. Yeah,
1: like you do. But actually she was cleared like almost immediately by detectives. What? Uh, Yeah, one detective just said, I don't think it's her. I think we should look somewhere else. I'm so confused. Yeah, that's all it took. uh, (laughs) Well, she said she didn't do it. I mean, what are you going to (laughs) do? She, she was asleep in bed with the phone disconnected um,
0: but she, she like killed him, ran home, jumped in the bedroom
1: <laughs> locked the took door, a bed and
0: drill. Yeah. To
1: phone yeah
0: she's sitting there with her eyes like squeezed together, squeezed shut. she's like <laughs> trying so hard to pretend she's. Like <laughs>
1: Uh, Yeah. So one of the detectives in the 48 hours that I watch actually just said they didn't think it was her. So they moved on. Ladies figure out what she told them to clear her himself immediately. But um, so since the car was gone, detectives uh, immediately thought that it might have been like a carjacking gone wrong, which happens. You know, people steal cars, except... Um, again, his wallet was still on his body. And two, really, if you're carjacking somebody, you're just after the car like you don't mm-hmm. stab somebody 16 times, and mm. give them a skull fracture true, to take the car. So but they didn't have anything else to go on at this point. Again, there was no eyewitnesses. There was not any um, cameras in the parking lot to record anything. And he had already been dead a couple hours before anybody found the body. So they actually called his cell phone. They pinged his phone and they found his car about six miles away, um, just left in a parking lot of an apartment complex. And there was blood inside and outside of the car. So immediately detectives were like, it looks like somebody attacked him before he was in the car. Mm. And made it look like a robbery. Tried to stage it to look like a carjacking. So they they did a background check. Of the doctor. And of course uh, the wife's first thing. Uh, that she said when they asked. Does your husband have any. Anybody that might want to hurt him. She immediately said. You should look at Dr. Schwartz. Which was his partner in Tucson. Before he went to start his own practice. Mm. So when police. Went to Dr. Schwartz. Um, he was actually not completely unknown to them. They knew who Dr. Schwartz was. So do you remember when I said that Dr. Siddham was with Dr. Schwartz for less than a year, from November uh, to October? And that is because right before he left, their clinic was raided by the DEA. Oh, so that, yeah, that's why the police
0: is kind of familiar with him, I guess. So it's usually not a good thing if the police are like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs)
1: And like immediately can connect you to mm-hmm. not you good. Know. Not a good sign. Um, so let's go back and talk a little bit about, about Dr. Schwartz. Um, so he had a successful, successful practice in Tucson, um, very busy office and not only busy with patients. Um, it was well known among his staff that he was a bit of a womanizer. Oh brother. So, and uh, more commonly, he was getting busy with uh, the mother of his the mothers of his patients, and somebody they talked to the <gasps> office manager, who estimated <laughs> that he might have been involved with as many as fifty patients or mothers of pediatric oh, patients.
0: Gross. That's yeah. nasty.
1: Oh, it's going to get grosser because <laughs> he actually had a system in place where if a kid's chart was marked with the letters G L M. Uh, that meant the child had a good-looking mother. Oh. And, and the staff knew that if a GLM was coming in, that the doctor wanted more time with that patient. What? So they would, Who are they these would, people? What? Yeah. Gross, right? That's disgusting. Um, and the office manager would tell detectives after they came and talked to her that she heard Dr. Schwartz having sex in his office on several occasions. Oh, good grief. Um, and, not with his wife. He was married um, and had three kids at this point. Um, And it just so happens that one of the GLMs that he was involved with was an assistant district attorney um, in Tucson. And uh, after the DEA raid, it was discovered that Dr. Schwartz had been abusing pain medications Um, He was writing prescriptions for both um, this district attorney and his office manager. And then those women would fill the prescriptions and give him the pills. Uh, So the ADA was knowingly breaking the law uh, Mm -hmm. for this doctor, um, but she claims that they were in love and that he needed the pills. Oh, then that explains everything. Yeah, it's fine. He needs them. He needs (laughs) them. So after the DEA raid, he was actually charged with, I think, like 77 counts of Drug abuse and drug fraud for writing prescriptions that he was then taking. Um, So and because of this, his license was suspended until he completed court ordered rehab Um, and he does enter rehab. And actually, I couldn't find anything that said after he got out that he was abusing medication. So it, it does seem like the rehab worked. Um, But while he was in rehab, word got back to him that Dr. Stidham wanted to leave the practice to start his own. Um, And Dr. Schwartz was just livid about this. Um, So he calls the office manager and says he wants him fired, um, that he was going to try and steal his patients. (laughs) Uh, And the office manager basically said, you know, I'm not going to fire him. If you want him fired, you can fire him. But he can't really do that because he's in rehab right now. Um, And actually, Dr. Stidham did take a lot of the pediatric patients with him. you know, is kind of understandable. You know, yeah, addiction is a very serious problem in this country, and doctors are by no means immune to addiction. Right. But at the same time, you know, if you're a parent and you hear, uh, the doctor can't see your child right now; he's in court-ordered mm-hmm. rehab. No, like, you, you're not going to want to. No. Yeah. You can't this really person, blame him for- He's
0: doing surgery on children's eyes. I yeah. I can't imagine taking my child to the, I would be, I would could sympathize with him because I would, like you said, it could happen to anyone. And I would hate that for him. But for me, I would not trust him with my child's eyes.
1: Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people felt that same way. Um, So they did end up going over to Dr. Siddham's practice. Um, But because of this, Dr. Schwartz took this all very personally, that Dr. Mm. Siddham was destroying his practice. Um, So he Kind of started telling people that he wanted Doctor Stidham dead, Ooh. and he didn't only say that. Actually, what he said was he wanted him six feet under. Good grief! Which, like, that's you're, you know, you're not the Godfather. You're an ophthalmologist. Like, know. just relax a little bit. <laughs> and not only that, he was not only telling people that he wanted Doctor Schwartz or Doctor Stidham dead. He was saying how he would do it that he would stage it to look like a robbery and that he would hire somebody else to do it.
0: Good grief. He's not very smart, is a I mean, what is...
1: Yeah, no. So pretty um, pretty much immediately, the police were like, yeah, we should probably go talk to that guy a little bit more. Um, but when they went to interview Schwartz, he immediately said, I couldn't have done it. I have an alibi. I was on a date. <laughs> um, so, and this was a new woman, by the way. Yeah, he, um, his wife had divorced him. Um, Him and the district attorney had broken up after the rehab stint. So this was a new woman that he had met online. So when the police go to talk to her, she says, "Uh, yeah, we were on a date, but it was a little bit weird. It was a weird date. So how was it weird? Well, oh, I should mention also when the police interviewed this woman, she said they had only been on two to three dates after meeting online. But Dr. Schwartz had already proposed to her and asked him, (laughs) asked her to marry him.
0: Uh, because he wants, oh, what? Do you think he's thinking so far in advance, like if they're married that she can't testify against him or something yeah. like that?
1: Good <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think about that, but now I definitely am. But like red flag, red flags everywhere. So um, again, she said it was a weird date. And when the police asked her how it was weird, she said, well, about halfway through, Dr. Schwartz asked if his friend Bruce could join them, if she wouldn't mind if his friend joined them. Um. So she's like, "Yeah, I guess. Go ahead." Um. (laughs) A little bit weird. And was it
0: Bruce from Family Guy?
1: (laughs) (laughs) It might as well have been.
0: (laughs) Hey, y'all. Sorry, I'm not gonna be able to get that. that You guys don't watch Family Guy. (laughs) (laughs) Those who watch Family Guy will totally appreciate that joke. (laughs) Bruce I just don't like I... pops up. He like pops up in like random episodes. You never know when he's going to just show up. And it's just so <laughs> funny. And he's got this little voice. It's hilarious. So anyway, sorry. Keep going. <laughs> I,
1: yeah, I don't know if I have any quotes here from Bruce. But if I do, I might need to dr- read them in that voice for me. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Bruce shows up to their date. And um, she notices that he doesn't order any food. But he's eating off of their plates during their little conversation at dinner and when she asks dr schwartz how he knows bruce he said he's a friend of mine from rehab but she also noted that bruce ordered a drink which doesn't really seem like something like like somebody recovering from addiction would probably do Mm -hmm. Um, and she also noticed um, while they were um, talking that dr schwartz asked bruce how did those blue scrubs work out and Bruce said they were great. Thank you. And when the woman asked, why why do you need scrubs? Are you a doctor? He said, no, I'm a horseback rider. Because, <laughs> of course, if you're riding horses, you want to have thin polyester scrubs on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. something Something's way yeah. off about Bruce. So, the world's most awkward date wraps up. Um, and then three start driving around town. And when she asked where they were going, uh, Schwartz said he was going to find Bruce a hotel room. Um, so they dropped Bruce off at uh, the room that he rented and his date went home. And then the next morning Schwartz called his date. Um, and after she picked up, he immediately said, did you hear my old partner was murdered last night? Uh. And, she, and she said that immediately a chill went through her mm. and She asked, Did you do it? And he said, Of course not. How could I? You are my alibi, right? Ah. And hung up the phone. So that's a little weird. Oh, she knew. She knew something. Yeah. So a guy you've been on three dates with who's already proposed marriage Mm -hmm. calls you to tell you his old partner's murdered and you're my alibi, by the Mm -hmm. way. So now police are are looking to find Bruce. They'd like to talk to Bruce, but they don't have a full name. Um, They don't know where he might be. And really they can't even connect him to the murder at this point. Um, But they did find a gas station really close to the uh, murder scene that um, when they asked the clerk, if she remembered seeing anything weird that night, she said, well, a guy in blue scrubs came in and asked to use our phone because his car had broken down blue scrubs. Um, so when they find the security footage, they do see a man in blue scrubs on the phone, but they can't really see a face. Um, but when they check the call records for the phone, they see that the call was placed to Dr. Schwartz's cell phone.
0: Oh, of course it was.
1: Um, and then when they check Schwartz's credit card, they see that he had rented a room at the nearby Hilton um, and they ended up finding Bruce. I don't think he was at the hotel at that point. I think he was. So He was a homeless man. I think they found him kind of just outside of Tucson when they finally tracked him down. So he really just picked this homeless man up and talked him into doing this? Actually, he was a patient of Dr. Schwartz. Oh. Um, when the cops went to the office manager, Dr. Schwartz's office manager, and asked, does he have a patient named Bruce? They said yes. And um, he had treated him. Bruce had been in some sort of fight that needed um treatment he had an eye injury so dr schwartz treated him for the eye injury okay um so bruce like i said he's homeless um he is an addict and he is actually on the run from indiana for a parole violation when they finally catch up to him um but the thing is there is no fingerprints in the car or on the body so they can't link him to the murder until they swab for dna inside the car and they found a small um like tiny minuscule like a dash, uh, basically, of DNA, and it belonged to Bruce, and it was on the tuner of the radio. So mm. when he stole the car, he apparently didn't like the station that Doctor Siddham had been listening to, and switched it.
0: So he changed um, it. He must have wiped everything down except
1: the knob for the radio station. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm assuming if Doctor Schwartz gave him scrubs, maybe he gave him some gloves to wear too. Mm-hmm. Stole them from work. Um, so, on October 15th, Bigger and Schwartz were both arrested. Um, and actually, when they arrested Dr. Schwartz, they found him naked with another woman. So, not the date, not his ex wife, not the other ex wife. It was a new one. <laughs> um, so, Dr. Schwartz's trial began on November 8th, um, and the prosecution brought several of his former lovers and people to testify that said Schwartz had told them on several occasions that he wanted Stidham dead. Um, and they did call the former ADA. She had been disbarred due to really uh, because of the DEA case against her. So she was no longer licensed to practice law, but she did testify. Um, and in fact, she th- she said that she had tried to warn Dr. Siddham that Dr. Schwartz was threatening him, um, but never followed, followed up because she didn't want to scare him, yep. scare Dr. Siddham. Like, can I go on record as like, if somebody ever tells you they want to do me harm, like, go ahead and tell me. Yeah. Like, don't, don't worry about my feelings. Just yeah. go ahead
0: and tell me. It's okay. I'll be, it's fine if I'm scared.
1: I would rather be scared than dead. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so, after only five days of deliberation, Dr. Swartz was found guilty of conspiracy to commit murder. Um, he had paid Bruce $10,000 to kill Dr. Siddham. and he was sentenced to 25 years in prison and could be up for parole coming up in 2029. How? How is that possible to be up for parole? In well, 11 and I, years? I believe. Um, his, the trial, they, I think it was a hung jury to actually find him like guilty of murder. They just found him guilty of conspiracy to commit murder. I guess because it was so well, and because he obviously didn't necessarily do it, but he hired someone else. So I, I mean, yeah, I mean, he facilitated it for sure, Mm -hmm. but I guess the jury couldn't agree on that. They could just agree that he paid somebody else to do it. Um, so bruce uh, was under trial in march of 2007 and actually his attorney tried to argue that schwartz had done everything that he committed the murder himself that bruce had nothing to do with it Um, but of course the jury didn't buy it because his dna was in the car Mm -hmm. Um, and he was found guilty of first degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder um, and he is currently serving life in prison without the possibility of parole and that is the murder of Dr. Brian Stidham of Tucson, Arizona. Okay, man, that was a good story. Good grief. Twists it's and a- turns. Bad doctors.
0: Well, you know, no it's turns. a it's a little, it's so weird to me. Every time I do these stories and research the stories, reading about uh, physicians, nurses, physical therapists, um, physician assistant what else have we done um all of these different people who are so smart because you have to be because you wouldn't be able to get through school to do this job and and yet they do such dumb things like they can't even get this whole thing right whatever that is the bad thing that they're doing like oh for sure that's, that was the like, dumbest. Like, why don't you announce to everybody how much you hate this person, how much you would love to see him dead, and, and not only that do way, yeah, how it w- you would go about doing it, and then go do it exactly that way.
1: <laughs> how and t- I mean, how completely stupid do you have to be to do that? Well, and then to bring your accomplice to the <laughs> date with your alibi, like. <laughs> Everything you just did was wrong. It's crazy. I mean, it's like he
0: was intelligent on one level as far as just being able to understand just that one thing about the eye and ophthalmology and surgery and all of that stuff. Maybe that stuff is so hard, it took up all of his brain cells. He just didn't have (laughs) any left.
1: I mean, that would definitely explain it because nothing else does. There's no. there's no excuse for any of this stuff.
0: I'm glad he's going to be locked
1: away for a while anyway. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that there's any chance that uh, he won't get out after he serves as 25 years because, again, uh, they, they didn't convict him of the murder itself. So double mm. jeopardy. Um, unless another partner upsets him, then maybe he'll end up back where he is oh. right now. Good grief. That's so scary, though. So, well,
0: I have a good ophthalmologist that I'd like to talk about. And let me just say, when I was researching to try to find a good, because you had found that um, the bad uh, ophthalmologist story, and it was so fascinating that I was like, okay, you definitely have to do that. And it's, that's a really good story. <laughs> so I was trying to find the good one. There are tons and tons and tons of stories about ophthalmologists and ophthalmologists and other prof- like people in the eye world I guess uh, yeah. like what your your profession is and optometrists and technicians and all sorts of people who go all over the world helping people who have conditions that we probably take for granted in the United States that you know are easily corrected here
1: yeah absolutely like cataract surgery is a great one cataract is something that anybody that lives long enough is probably going to have to get it taken care of. Uh, super routine surgery here in the States. But, you know, the people walking around third world countries effectively blind because they have cataracts and can't do anything about them. Um, Mm. So that's kind of the number one procedure that ophthalmologists do, like with Doctors Without Borders or um, certain missions that they're just doing, you know, what we consider to be routine stuff here that changes people's lives when they don't have easy access to that kind of stuff.
0: It's just wonderful. I love it. So the story that I found that I thought, oh, I, I told you at the beginning of it, it's this ophthalmologist who created vitrioretinal retinal subspecialty, um, but he also lived a double life as a World War II resistance fighter and spy. <laughs> so before I get into this, his sort of like, you know, biography and telling what he did, can you kind of explain to us what vitreoretinal retinal subspecialty
1: is? Sure. So uh, the eye, there's actually two subspecialties within the eye. Um, so there's general ophthalmology, which usually focuses on like the front part of the eye. So the eyelids, the cornea, the lens, LASIK surgery, that kind of stuff. Um, the back of the eye is the, so the vitreous is kind of the jelly, basically in the back of the eye that kind of holds the shape. Um, and then the retina is the back layer of the eye that um, senses color, senses light, sends, basically sends all the uh, signals back to your brain. So your brain can tell you what it is that you're seeing. So it, It's important for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so that's, that's just a subspecialty within ophthalmology. They focus on just the back half of the eye, basically. Interesting. And so he pretty much created that whole subspecialty. Is that
0: what it's saying? Sounds like it. Yeah. Which would make sense being about that time of. About that around that time. Okay. Yeah. So Charles Skuppens spelled C H E P E N S. And he, um, it says it's pronounced S K A P E N S, so Scopins, I guess. He basically, well, he was born in 1912, just to kind of uh, start at the beginning, I guess, in Belgium. And he f- witnessed his first wartime resistance as a child from his father, who was a physician, and later trained as an ophthalmologist and joined the Belgian military, and then in late. Uh, October 1940, he was arrested and released. And he decided to volunteer with the Belgian resistance. So his ophthalmic practice became the site of a mail drop for clandestine packages. So he, he was he had his business, but he allowed the resistance to use his business as sort just to sort of like pass information and packages along. Every few weeks, a patient would make an appointment and bring along a brown satchel filled with secret documents that the ophthalmologist hid in the ivy on the wall at the rear of the property. And then an Air Force colleague, I didn't want to not say it because it's You know, he did a great thing, but it's spelled V-E-R-N-I-E-U-W-E. And it says he was an Air Force colleague who enlisted Dr. Scuppins in the underground. So, So there was a whole book written about this. It's called The Surgeon and the Shepherd, Two Resistance Heroes in Vichy, France. It says it's a book about Dr. Scuppin's and about his experience, and it was written by Meg Ostrom. So, a lot of this this article comes from that book. The information. So, back to the story. So, in uh, April 1942, a mole in the Gestapo office alerted that person, Mr. Vernier. And <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to, completely butcher it and not even care because I don't know what else to do. <laughs> so, a mole alerted him and Dr. Skupins that the Gestapo, the German secret police was watching their activities. So they kind of were like, hey, the German pe- you know secret police may be onto you which obviously could be very dangerous. So they fled France and another person by the name of Cyril (laughs) Pomerantsef, which is a successful businessman and friend, helped him get a false French um, identity card and a new name and a job as a traveling salesman. So it says that he scouted the Western Pyrenees for a site to establish an uh, information and evacuation service for the Belgian resistance. And that site was, would act as a location for people and documents to be smuggled across the border of France into Spain. And they found it in the ruins of an abandoned sawmill in a town called Medive. So now Dr. Skeppens has a new name, and he's calling himself M. Pratt. And he purchased the mill and rehabilitated it and he hatched a plan to make items, including railroad ties, broomsticks, and wooden shoes, as cover. So that was his business. That it was just sort of like, hey, you know, this is just a business. Nothing going on here. Not helping <laughs> out the resistance or anything. <laughs> and um, they, it says that they enrolled Jean. Saracar, S-A-R-O-C-H-A-R, a local shepherd as a escort to lead people over the mountains. It kind of reminds me of Sound of Music. The- no, I was just about to say that exact same thing. <laughs> they were going over the mountains at the end. And it says so to maintain his cover as M. Prot, he developed relationships with the occupying Germans. Gosh, that must have been horrifying. He was so brave. Yeah. He led his neighbors to think that he was a Nazi collaborator. His wife and two young children joined him from Belgium, and everything went according to plan until 1943. And a resistance agent exposed him. because he was captured. So I guess he kind of threw him under the bus. So the Gestapo came for him then a second time at the mill, you know, the new business that he had Mm -hmm. started. But he escaped before they could arrest him. He and the other guy escaped over the mountains to Spain and he landed in London. He was able to make it through and he landed in London. And it says there was apparently a hospital there called Moorfields Hospital. And he Ended up in the basement of that hospital, which had been bombed, and he created a prototype for the indirect ophthalmoscope. Okay, wow. So, and then he was able to be reunited with his wife and children who had escaped from France, and then after the war
1: they relocated to Boston. <laughs> they were all over the place. Well, that, that indirect ophthalmoscope is, is something we use still today. Okay. Um, if you ever see a doctor like put on a little, almost looks like a miner's helmet with a light on the front of it, that's an indirect. <gasps> um, so that's still used today. And that is something that they can actually see the retina with. Okay, And it's awesome because the, uh, the retina is kind of the only place in the body where we can observe blood vessels without actually having to cut anybody open. Mm. So- like you can diagnose high blood pressure, diabetes, more serious things like leukemia, melanoma. All that stuff can be diagnosed just with an eye exam. Wow! So if you haven't had an eye exam in a couple of years, you know, go find your doctor and have them get a good look at you. Oh, I, that's, that would be me. I hate going to
0: the doctor though.
1: <laughs> so do
0: you recommend... Like if somebody needs an eye exam to go to an ophthalmolo- ophthalmologist
1: and not an optometrist? Um, You know, if you're young and healthy, usually an optometrist is perfectly fine. If they see anything out of the ordinary, they'll probably refer you on to an ophthalmologist. Mm-hmm. But most ophthalmologists do just kind of general clinic care. So it's total, totally personal preference. And here in America, probably whatever insurance you have, mm-hmm. um, whatever doctor they're going to let you see. Yeah. But, you know, I do we have an optometrist in our clinic who is awesome and I would have no qualms about her doing my eye exam. So if it's somebody you're comfortable with, I'd say go for it. Mm-hmm. So somebody could go to an ophthalmologist, get an eye exam once a year
0: and do they do the pre- eye prescriptions or then do you also have to go to the optometrist to get that?
1: Uh, most of uh, what kind of like a retina specialist probably wouldn't do glasses prescriptions, but a general ophthalmologist would oh, okay. for the most part. Um, kind of depends on what their specialty is and what their clinic flow looks like. But like all, all of our ophthalmologists in our clinic do basic eye exams, prescriptions, contacts, glasses, all that kind of stuff, as well as surgery.
0: Okay. Good to know. This has been a very educational episode of Good Nurse Patter. <laughs> I've learned a lot myself.
1: Other people have learned how dumb I am and how little I know about the eye. <laughs> it's a it's a very small organ. It's about the size of a golf ball, so you know, it's not something you think about every day until you have problems with I know. it. no, it just sort of it's, works. It does its thing. It it's very resilient yeah. and it
0: you know you can scratch it and do all kinds of things to it and it still just keeps on working usually.
1: Yeah, usually is the keyword there. But <laughs> when things go wrong, yeah, it's, pretty, it's probably pretty bad. Yeah, I've seen it go wrong once or twice, but for the most part it, it's fixable. <laughs> so,
0: I guess that kind of wraps it up for this episode of Good Nurse Bad Nurse and it'll be good ophthalmologist and bad ophthalmologist, I guess, is how we'll do that. And I really appreciate you taking the time to do this episode. It's been really interesting and fun just hearing about something totally new and and it was a great story. So I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. All right. Well, I guess um, you guys, we will... Be here again next week. I don't know who the story will be done with next week. I've got all different people that I meet with all the time and, and record. But um, just like I said, go on to Facebook and Instagram and give us a shout out. Let us know if you have any ideas for stories. If you are a medical professional and you're interested in co-hosting with me an episode or you have a story you want to tell, go on to Facebook and let me know. Who knows? We may be able to work something out. So, Bree, do you know how we end the podcast? Yes,
1: but I'm going to need your help with it. (laughs) I got the last
0: so I've started thinking that I should incorporate males into that as well instead of just n- girl. So last week, Meg <laughs> was like, hey, what do you do if it's a guy? And I'm like, well, so far, I haven't had a guy co-host, but that's probably going to be a problem at some point. So we can say even if you're a bad girl or boy, be a good nurse. Yeah. That works. Okay, let's start. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah. Even if you're a bad girl or boy, be a good nurse. <laughs> Yay. That was <laughs> perfect. That
1: was perfect, <laughs> that was perfect. perfect. the way it was.